Hey there, product security pros, David and Shlomi here. Hosting the Left to Our Own Devices podcast has been a privilege. During the past two years, we had the opportunity to chat with top product security minds from the likes of CISA, the FDA, Boston Scientific, Jaguar Land Rover, and many others. 20,000 listeners and 50 plus guests later, we thought it was time to take things to the next level and launch the first virtual conference for product security. Left to Our Own Devices, the conference. Join us on April 3rd, 9 a.m. EST for fascinating and practical sessions from the world's top product security minds across industry, government, and academia, entirely online and completely free. KPMG, Showstack & Associates, OpsRight, Valentium, and ASRG have already joined as partners or speakers. To sign up for free and save your spot, go to cybellum.com conference. That's C-Y-B-E-L-L-U-M dot com slash conference. See you there and enjoy the show. Hi, this is David. And this is Shlomi. And you've tuned into Left to Our Own Devices, the product security podcast. All right, so uh, let's get going. Our guest today is Gonen Barkan. Gonen is currently the Chief Radar Officer at Arbe, responsible for radar technology and future product strategy. Mr. Barkan has more than 23 years of experience in communication, IoT, radar, chip design, and the automotive industry. Prior to joining Arbe from 2016 to 2022, Mr. Barkan led the radar technology and development for General Motors globally, focusing on future retail autonomy programs, such as future Super Cruise, Ultra Cruise, and in-house development of imaging radars for Cruise LLC Autonomous Robotaxi in San Francisco. Prior to joining GM from 99 to 2013, Mr. Barkan led architecture, hardware, software, and ASIC development at startup companies in the fields of communication, powerline communication, IoT, and cellular. So we're very excited to have him on today. Uh, Gonen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Very excited to be here. We're, we're very happy uh, to have you here. So on your website, it says that Arbe's standout for the imaging radar chipset uh, together with Tier 1 and OEM's innovative technology are, are delivering unrivaled safety. So that got me curious. How does Arbe's radar technology improve the safety of cars? There, there are many aspects of Arbe's technology that uh, differentiate us from current radar technology. But I think the fundamental is, unlike the common notion that radars are mature, you know, it's been here from World War II, right? Uh, the automotive radar is far from being mature. And the fundamental difference in our best technology is the physics. It simply has the physics to provide the rich, detailed image of the world required for autonomous driving and aid us. Now, if you want to do the camera parallel of it, uh, imagine trying to do autonomous driving with a 0.3 megapixel, a small processor, and a small lens. Okay? And it's a, it's a camera. Yeah, it is mature, but there's a limit. There must be some physics around it. You have to have enough pixels, enough aperture in your lens, and enough processing to be able to see a kid from 200 meters, right? So there's basic physics around it. None of the current radio technology is even remotely close to meeting those physics. And that's very easy to check, okay? So what they do, 
they try to compensate with very strong assumption about the usage, about the environment, about the objects, and, and about what they can filter out. And this is how they manage to somehow get reasonable results, maybe for the ADA, basic ADAS applications. Arbe has, the, it's the first time you have in a commercial cost for retail, right, comparable cost to the raiders on the market, that you have the physics in your hand. We have 10 times more antennas, which is maybe the equivalent to pixels and lens, and 10 times more processing power than comparable raiders on the market for the same price which is the one big, uh, there's more other, there's more topics, but that's the one big aspect that for the first time you have the physics to support it. So you don't need to make any pre-assumptions. You're able to get the rich image of the world at low latency and of much more complex scenarios. And that's the basics of getting good, safe performance from your features. Very interesting. Wow. <laughs> I'll tell you a lot of that went right over my head, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm sure many of our listeners actually understood it. So what are the specific security measures that Arbe has taken to protect its radar sensors from cyber attacks? I was lucky enough to do um, you know, a cyber research during my time at GM on radars specifically, because not just like any other sensor, they're not just susceptible to digital attacks, right? but also physical attacks, what's called spoofing in the sensor domain. From the standard digital approach, then now with the software-defined vehicles becoming a reality, all the strictest and, and most advanced cybersecurity standards are applied to radars also. And Arbe is a chip company, so within our processor, we have a security processor, meets all the requirements, all the standards. This is part of the automotive requirements, which is probably one of the more strict ones. So that's on the digital part. The spoofing is much more, I, I don't think, not well regarded in, in the industry. So we've all seen camera systems, you know, vision, vision-centric system being fooled by posters, printed stop signs by moon, and people are actually stopping the Waymo cars in at San Francisco by placing a traffic cone on the hood, right? It's very easy and very cheap and very simple to spoof a vision system. Okay, now radar is very different. It operates at 80 gigahertz. It is extremely hard for the common attacker to attack a 80 gigahertz system. It's very expensive to build a spoofing device. And definitely it's extremely expensive to try to spoof it, not just to jam it or, or to disturb it, but to actually cause it to understand something differently. So we take it into account, of course, into our design. So specifically, our design, unlike most traders in the, in the industry, uh, use a very narrow beam which hops uh, in frequency randomly. So it's very hard, it's very immune to attacks, for, to RF spoofing attacks. And this is part of the, the whole approach to secure sensing, not just the digital part, but also the RF part. And in this regard, I think radars are much more immune than cameras. So I have a follow-up on that, if that's okay. So sure. um, you're you're attaching to the ECU, basically, or via some kind of uh, channel to the, to the ECU? So uh, Arbe has its own uh, processing unit, radar processing unit. We have a chipset that is, co is comprised from the transmit elements, the receive elements, and a processor. So this processor has a unique radar processor, just like an ISP in cameras, for those who are familiar with it. 
So you had the, all the heavy lifting of the processing is done with a unique processor. And of course, there is a, it's multi-core, so it has a security processor, safety processor, and also DSPs for customers to put their own application. Everything is in the radar itself. And of course, we can output, you know, depending on which connectivity we have on the vehicles, uh, a lot of data back to the central compute and do further processing. So it really depends on the vehicle architecture. So a lot of the, the safe cybersecurity elements are implemented on a very low level from the RF uh, through the basic processing. We have detectors that indicate if something looks wrong in the image, doesn't make sense, irregularities. So we provide early warning to whomever using the sensor uh, that something may be wrong on the image you get. So you have to have some kind of also security in place then between the communicating mechanism into into your system, into your processing unit. Yeah, that's part of the standard. You have lockstep processor, you have a lot of monitors on the way. This is well defined within the, the standard. I have a little funny story about, about what you just talked about. So a few years ago, I, I bought a, a car that had a, an auto braking system, as many of them do. Uh, I won't say which manufacturer because we're in the automotive industry. I don't want to call anyone out. But <laughs> a few months after I got it, uh, the car just randomly stopped uh, in the middle of the road. Luckily, it was in, in the city and not on a highway. But it just recognized, thought it recognized something in front of me and stopped. So, of course, I took the video uh, that I had on the front dash camera and I, and I analyzed it, tried to see if there was something there. There was nothing. I took it to the garage, and of course, they were completely clueless. They didn't know what to tell me. Uh, they looked at the logs, by the way. They were very professional, but they couldn't find anything or any reason. And up until this day, I have no idea what happened there. Was it a software malfunction, a hardware malfunction, a uh, cyber attack? I have no idea. Yeah, I guess they, they didn't maybe, use your, your technology. So, <laughs> and Maybe I can help with it. This is, I think, the fundamental problem with current day's technology. And I'll try to take, I should not only read the guys will understand it. Okay, think about if you have a camera, but it's very low pixelized, okay? Very low, very low. Everything is pixelized and fuzzy, okay? So very easily, very easily an object that it may, may be on the road may appear on in front of you, or maybe something in the side of the road, you may think it's in front of you, okay? Because the image is fuzzy. The same thing happened when you don't have sufficient uh, antenna elements on the radar. And again, it's physics. You, you cannot defy it. It's just a matter of how you sample the space. If you don't sample the space with sufficient elements, that's what happens. What happened is the guesstimation system, okay? You said, well, that's what I said about pre-assumption. Okay, I'm assuming there's no kid there because how many kids do you see on the highway? And it's not, it's not by case that it happened you're in urban scenarios because in urban scenarios, you have much more returns from very un- not well-defined objects compared to highways. Okay, so all those pre-assumptions simply break. Okay, and this is where the disadvantages of the low-end technologies comes to place. And just and I'm pretty sure that the radar you had had no more than three transmitters for receivers. Okay, that's about 99% of radars today. Okay, Arbit has 48 by 48. And you need to multiply it. So it's 12 against 2300. And that's the equivalent to pixel if you want. Okay. So it's 0.3 versus maybe 20 megapixel. Okay? That's maybe the, the best equivalent I can provide. So again, it could be a software malfunction, of course, but that, that's fundamentally the physics is not there. 
and definitely not in urban scenario, but all the pre-assumptions fail. I'll make sure my next car has has your tech in it. Um, then <laughs> you so. don't even know what it was like growing up in like the '60s and '70s because I, I had a '67 Plymouth, and when it stalled, when it stalled, it kept going, but the brakes stopped working. So <laughs> essentially, if you're going downhill and you stall, and it did happen to me, I was coming to a place where like an intersection, and I turned left, and I just managed to barely miss the car coming the other direction into a street which was going uphill. So I stopped. Not not as bad as uh, stopping in the middle of the road, maybe, but you know, I shouldn't have said the name of the company. But they don't exist anymore, do they? So <laughs> it's okay. Your story is, is from a long time ago. Mine is actually a modern car. To continue that, I'm curious, uh, Gonen. How does Arbe work with its customers to, to ensure that their vehicles are secure when your technology is integrated into the vehicle? Because as we all know, once uh, you know, our, our product leaves the, the factory, it gets very difficult to make sure sometimes that the security is, is in check. So how do you do, do, you do that? Yeah, okay. no, I was lucky enough to work on both ends. So I worked a lot of years at the OEM. That is the one who's, you know, there's a saying like, beat a supplier. You pit a supplier until it beats all the spec. Uh, and, and now on the other side, and luckily in the middle, we have the tier ones because RB is a tier two company. We design radars, but eventually we sell a chipset that a tier one can take and build its own antenna, its own algorithm, its own trade-off. For example, an OEM that wants to do, this is another big advantage of our technology versus maybe other companies who sell you know, full radar. If an OEM wants to like BMW and Mercedes, they want to launch, you know, traffic jam features so they can optimize, you know, speed against uh, against resolution. But someone else wants to launch a highway feature. He can trade off speed versus field of view because, in, in for example, in, in highway you need very narrow field of view. Okay, so Arbe sells the chipset itself, not the full radar. So the tier one is the one who's responsible in front of the OEM to meet all the cybersecurity safety, production, uh, durability, etc., all the requirements. That's the tier one job. Arbe has three official tier ones who adopted already its technology. Uh, and of course, we're working on more. Two in China, Hirain and Wifu, and we have um, Magna who just bought Vioneer in uh, the Western part. And we are helping them meet the cybersecurity requirements by providing our artifacts that relate to the processor. For example, running the software uh, on a lockstep uh, architecture, meeting all the safety standards, ISO, whatever. And we provide those artifacts to our tier ones and they complete it to a full system and provide it to the OEM. And they are responsible, for, for example, for integration of the vehicle that also on the, behind the bumper, the performance uh, are maintained and uh, it meets uh, vibration and durability and, and speed, etc. And, and over time, so that's usually a tier one uh, responsibility. And of course, we support them in all the IC-related topics that we sell. Okay. So, so based on that and the work that you're doing there on, on security, what are your thoughts of the future of automotive security when it's going to be, you know, mostly autonomous vehicles, and maybe we'll have these flying buggies or, or whatever. We just did recently a test in Tel Aviv, right, of a flying taxi. By the way, did you, did you ever see the Jetsons no, going up? Or, no. Uh, okay. No. So I'll have to send you a link. It was a futuristic Please cartoon do. where they, they had the cars you know, flying around and they had um, 
basically it was smart cities, smart homes, everything we're starting to see happen today. So it's like a mantra for our program here because it's, uh, it's definitely happening. So, so what are your thoughts on the future of automotive security and how do you see our uh, playing a role in that? Uh, so I think first and foremost, uh, I, I think the, the critical thing is don't make assumptions that you know what's good enough. You have to have the physics in place and you have to have sufficient redundancy and not just redundancy, but also diversity, especially for sensing in your system. I think that's fundamentally, that's the most important part. And especially in, in domains where nobody knows how will an autonomous uh, personal car will look like in 10 years, in five years, but they're putting the technology now, right? It's very hard you know, for the industry to make this leap because it looks like we can do pretty well with you know, camera or cheaper sensors or lower compute, and it's very tempting, uh, but to really get into safe ADAS features and, uh, and make sure it lasts on, on things that you have never thought you're going to do and be able to provide additional value to your customer over time, you must have the physics in place. Whatever was good enough for very basic ADAS at expensive cars will, will not be sufficient going forward. I think that's the most fundamental thing. The, the, the whole standards and digital, digital part of it, I think, is well understood. It's just a matter of adopting it. I think the car industry is actually uh, following the other industries. And of course, the, the whole spoofing element must be taken much more seriously because once it becomes... Today, it's hard to spoof systems because they don't do much. They just beep. Uh, I think going forward, it's something that we'll have to be taking more seriously on the sensing side. Yeah, I heard an article recently or read an article about uh, in San Francisco where they were spoofing with the cones because they were upset with the accidents or that the cars had just stopped in the middle of the road and, and you know caused a lot of traffic jams. So there were activists that came out and, and really tried to cause some havoc with uh, with the cones and, and yeah, spoofing. Yeah. And in, in San Francisco... People would just lie in front of the car and no sensor could see them because they were under the front bumper. And the vehicle could not know if they can drive forward or not. Well, that, that is risky. <laughs> well, but it, some people thought it's worthwhile. In San Francisco, I've seen a lot of people laying down on the streets and on the roads recently. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so maybe they thought they could they could sue or something. I, I, I can really connect to what you said, uh, Gonen, on uh, also on a personal level, not just on a business level. Simply because I think that we have an opportunity now uh, as an industry to really almost entirely eliminate accidents, right, or incidents. Putting the right technology in place, it's it's not a nice to have. It's it's just a, a basis for everything that will come out eventually. And and in these safety critical systems like a car, you, you really have no room for error. So I, I completely relate to that. And on that note, uh, can you share with us any specific examples of how our base radar technology has been used to prevent accidents or crimes or anything of that sort? Well, uh, it, currently you cannot uh, you know buy uh, RBA equipped radar on the retail. That, that we're still not there. Our tier ones are... are Bidding as we speak to all the OEMs and, and, you know, the pace of the industry. So I believe that until you could buy such a, such a vehicle, probably will take a, uh, a year or two. And, and if we mentioned before, the way to handle the missing physics in current radars, and, and I have to admit that the industry is doing pretty good things with what they have. But what happens is that you make a lot of strong assumptions about 
the scenario and it takes you a lot of time. There's a lot of latency until you get sufficient data to make a decision in good reliability. And I think fundamentally, once you have the physics, not only that you don't, you can handle much more cases, you can do it faster, much faster at low latency. You know, most of features today, the advanced features are, are vision-based. Look, I'm driving my daughter to school uh, eastwards every morning. None of the ADAS features are working. They're not all not available because the sun is very low. And that's not even spoofing, right? <laughs> that's naturally spoofing. Not a, so I think inherently what's happened today, the radars are not good enough. They're not good enough, so they're not relied on. Not relied on, not used. Not used, the feature remains vision-based. And it, 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 it never ends, right? I think Arbus technology is the first one. And believe me, a GM, I was responsible for all the radar technology. I know all the alternatives in the market. I know the people, I know the technology, I know everyone. <laughs> That's the only technology that, for the first time, has the, has the physics to avoid it. And once this is paired with a camera, because radar is strong, but camera is weak, and vice versa. When this is paired with a camera, I think our feature will be available at all weather, available all time of day, uh, can support longer ranges, lower, you know, you don't have panic brakes because you've seen things far away. You don't have phantom brakes because, you know, you're not looking at the world in a, through a fuzzy glass, you know, eyeglasses anymore. So I, I think that's the, this pairing is the first time you'll see really safe, usable ADAS for the masses. I think that that's our vision eventually. We're not looking for the extreme, you know, L4 luxury cars that maybe 1,000 people would enjoy it. We're looking to make a difference. With the mass market. Yeah, mass market by all means. So by the way, before we get to the next question, how long do you think it will take? You know, we had on um, the podcast a uh, surgical robot expert, the CEO of uh, Ascensus Surgical, a guy named Anthony Fernando. And I asked him, he, so they're doing robots for, you know, surgical robots. And I said, so do you, how long will it be before you have the technology in place to actually have those robots do the, do the, the surgeries by themselves? And he said, the technology is available today, but people aren't ready for it. And so I said, I wonder how long it will take for autonomous vehicles, you know, for people to be ready for autonomous vehicles. So actually, it ties into the next question, which is, you know, what advice would you give to other companies that are developing self-driving cars or other autonomous systems to ensure that their projects, products are secure? And in order, I guess, for people to really have the confidence in being in the backseat of an autonomous vehicle, you know, and maybe uh, with the LGE vision of, having the internal of the car being anything you want it to be. So you're, you're in the traffic of San Francisco, but you're actually, you know, out in the hills and, you know, you're relaxing with, with beautiful green fields around you. Or you could be on the Formula One freeway, you know, raceway going really, really fast, even though you're sitting in traffic. Yeah, I'll probably play Candy Crush, most probably. Yeah, right? yeah, most probably. <laughs> so, so how long will it be for us to be autonomous and how... You know, what do you recommend other companies that are developing these cars, you know, in order that their products should, should be secure? You know, it's a hard prophecy. I mean, as a, as a small story, you know, I, I entered this industry full full force, I think, 2013. 2016, I was supposed to put radars on L4 vehicles, and my deadline was 2019 with 300,000 cars a year. 2019. So any prediction, and people put a lot of money on this bet. So I'm going to be very careful about it. But 
I think, like you see now, uh, Mercedes and BMW started to launch very limited, semi-autonomous L3 features for, for traffic, for traffic jam. And, and you see Tesla trying to do, but by the way, you know, you cannot even take your hands off the wheel with Tesla, right? So, but everybody are trying. I, I think it's going to be gradual. I think more and more driving features will become available. It's not going to be one and zeros. Uh, one day you're going to buy an autonomous car. I think, you, you know, you have an auto fully autonomous L5 feature in your car as you speak. You know what it is? What's the feature that you have in your vehicle, which is L5? L5 means every terrain, every day, every time. And it outperforms the driver every time. No. Android driving features. Your automatic gear. Mm, right? Okay. You, you don't. Right, you don't listen to it. Right, you don't listen to it anymore. Right, in the beginning, right, you would listen. You would be mad that it doesn't switch gears when it should. Right, today nobody can outperform the, your automa your your gear manually. It outperforms the driver. So, if you're asking what's my recommendation, I think the industry should look at it this way: choose a feature that is valuable for the driver, like gear shifting. Right that is valuable to the driver and design your system to outperform the driver. Mm -hmm. Not 90% of the driver, not 99% of the driver, 150% better than the driver. It's okay to, you know, not gale fence, but let's say limit the feature. No, shifting gears is a very limited feature, right? But I think this is how, if you do, if you're going to try to eat the entire cake, then eventually it will be extremely moonshot, it will never happen. And then you learn as you go. Okay, but you have to design your features to outperform the driver. If it will not outperform the driver in a well-rounded feature that is valuable for the driver, nobody will buy it. Okay, and I think fundamentally, what happens today in this really, if I bring it to the to my domain, the sensing camera is so easy and so fast that people just rely on it to to just to launch something, right? B because it, it's it's a market they have to compete in. But I think. If you put the physics display, put sufficient diversity in your system, in your sensing system, sensing the world, compensate for what all modalities to make sure you have a full rounded capability combined with well formalizing your target. I think this is how it's going to launch. How long, you know, anybody could guess. I guess by 2030, we'll have relatively more common L3 features, L3, I mean, some of the driving features will be able to outperform the driver at reasonably cost vehicles until you could do point to point, really at, re at reasonably cost vehicles, maybe another 10 years. So I can tell you uh, from last week, uh, the event I was at, which uh, took place in uh, Europe. So I asked a question about the um, flying cars or the flying taxis and and I asked, how many of you in the room are working on these? And nobody raised their hands, but I saw a lot of people moving around and there was a lot <laughs> of shuffling in their seats. And I knew that, and I, I won't say the name as out of respect for the two people that came over to me after the session, they came up to me and I can just say that, yeah, they, they, their cars are very special. <laughs> I won't go more than that, but they, they said to me, look, you know, David, there are some things that we just can't talk about. <laughs> and, and so I think, um, you know, that that's going to be also a very interesting challenge on the radar side, on the security side, you know, once we're talking about people up in the air, because then we're talking about also, you know, on the road somehow, 
we, our line of vision maybe, or maybe it's um, that we, we have less competition with birds, we have less competition with other planes, or well, I, I don't know, telephone poles, you know, radar seems like it's going to have to be really, really in place to, to keep people safe once that happens. And I don't think we're that long, maybe 10, 20 years away. I, I, I think that's a reasonable, I, I personally, I think that I'm following on two flying cars, uh, two companies that I really like. I think air is much easier because much easier to regulate, and and you know kids cannot drive with scooters in the air, right? So <laughs> I came out of a parking lot after you know leaving Tel Aviv, and I came out of this the way that you can come out. You can come out if you're a subscriber. You can come out one way, and then there's a place for people to walk. And a scooter came slipping through. I literally came within inches of hitting him, and then I stopped at the light and I said to him, "You really have to be careful. It's your life. I'm not going to die." if I hit you. And he said to me, I was being careful. And I'm thinking, this is the root of the problem. They come <laughs> zipping out and they, they, and they think that's being careful. Look, my, my, my radars were integrated into cruise vehicles at San Francisco. So when you go to integration, you do test drives and you drive four hour, you know, 40 minutes autonomously, rush hour San Francisco. It's crazy. Hoverboards and scooters and e-bikes and pedestrians. Crazy. Dogs, a lot of dogs. Wow, so. seems like a whole whole other challenge. But then I have a, a, a more personal question. Uh, what was the most amazing or unbelievable moment you had in your career so far? Uh, um, maybe I'll, I'll answer it twofold. So from a single point in time, like uh, an event, I hired my first engineer to, the, to build the reader team together with uh, Eagle Billick from, from GM Research at that time. And... November 15. Now, we demoed it live, you know, I mean, from zero. We demoed it live at September 16, which is unparalleled to, to build. And the, the team didn't have any radar experience at that time. And then Cruise was bought the same, the same year, March 16. And it was demoed in the States. And uh, Cruise management saw it. They're, exactly at that time, they had a problem with, you know, people hugging their cars so they, they and cameras could not recognize it, lighters could not recognize it, so they didn't know if they had clearance to move. And we just developed a radar for up to 20 meters for imaging. We would drive under underground parking lot just by radar. Cruise CEO, Kyle Vogt, he said, I want 10 of these on my vehicles, put it in the bag. And this that spun off the entire spun off the first engineering team at GM Israel to build a radar for cruise. And it was delivered to cruise offices December this year, like three months later. Incredible. Wow. Yeah, that, that was really, uh, this was the only, you know, research project that turned into, uh, a hardware research project that turned into production at Cruise. And the only one who presented uh, this year, uh, that year to GM uh, CEO Maribara. So it, it was, as a point in time, it was really exciting and, and a turn from research to actual production. Eventually, they don't use it, but it's a different story. For, from personal perspective <laughs> in my career, so I, I did homeschooling for 11 years when my daughter was young. Uh, way before COVID, nobody knew that you could work from home, and I kind of balanced that. I was a home dad together with my wife, and I balanced between this and, and leading um, hardware, software, algorithm, chip design team in a startup company in parallel. So balancing the two. I think my, my personal great achieve, greatest achievement, one of the big problems in the high-tech industry, you have to sacrifice one 
right? So well, understanding how important it was to homeschool during COVID. So just out of curiosity, where are your children today? So they're, they're all grown up, uh, 16, 19, and 22. My smallest daughter, is she's uh, now finishing high school. The other, she's 19. She did Shnachirut and now at Otefaza. And now she's uh, going to the army. My eldest daughter, she's in the university, uh, studying politics and democracy. With a physics dad like you, homeschooling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, shit. <laughs> You know that that's part of part of that is is letting them grow to what they want and you know being present in their life. This was something I would never miss for a world, even though it held up my career. But other things compensated later on. So absolutely. So that's good. And I think I think it's very topical, actually. <laughs> Sounds incredible. I mean, I can only imagine what what, what it entailed. I, I taught a little bit of physics uh, when I was in university, but nothing like that. Full homeschooling. For years while working in tech, that's that's incredible. Sure. Not just in tech, but deep tech, radar. Wow. Yeah, yeah, incredible. yeah. And leading, leading. As a startup, right? And and we literally, I had three days where my my wife did her her PhD. So there was just me and the girls, nobody at home, so nobody to help. It was people who asked me. I would go with my daughter and say, "Oh, wh- whose daughters are there? What do you mean mine?" I mean, it's like I'm helping or something, like I'm a, a, a teacher aide or something. No, they're mine. Come on. Oh, it's very nice that you take them and you play with them. What do you mean? They're, they're my daughters. Come on. But nobody understood it there. Nobody understood why I work from home and is it even feasible? Then came COVID. Everybody had to admit I was right all along. I, I usually hired a home with a second floor that I can build an office. I had all the equipment, all the technical equipment here in my in my house. I lived only 10 minutes from work. It's, it's not a matter of commute even. My engineers would come to my house. I would do code review, evaluation, debug session. Then we go out to the yard, drink beers, come back. My daughters knew everyone. They, they knew the CEO. They would run to his office, would bring them candy and, and, and toys. So it was like a family. I guess when COVID started, you were a very popular guy. You were the only one probably with experience of how to do that remote, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> remote work thing. <laughs> exactly. The, the funny thing is that I this work from home episode, very long episode, ended 2014. So I worked, you know, Herzliya offices, corporate every day at the office until COVID. So kind of went back to the origins. For me, that was good. Right. I have to tell you, listening to this podcast, this uh, this episode, and your answers, you know, you're a pioneer in what I believe will be seen to be in the future. We'll look back and say this is like the next era of transportation, and you know, you're one of the architects of this next era of transportation. And I'm sure it's going to evolve into a lot more than that because you know it's not going to just be transportation of cars. You know, we, we're then talking about. Uh, marine transportation we're talking about you know maybe into uh, robotics and transportation and and um you know Trucks, railways logistics. And every, yeah everything it's incredible yeah really incredible. there's actually a company that that in, in sweden sensrad that is using our technology also to enrich other industries like boating perimeter defense uh, mining equipment trucking because they cannot you know if it's fog it cannot stop right it's, it's if it's mining you know, there's dust all the time. So uh, all the go-to approach that, that, that is much easier, which is vision only, they, they, they cannot sustain it. Marine implementation, you have a lot of reflection from the water and spray and salt. So 
vision is is definitely not sufficient there. So we do support also other industries, but and this is why we have a different partner for this. But as I said, our key uh, aspiration is to be mass market and impact as many people as possible, wow. not just be a niche pro- uh, product. Well, I'm sure you will. And really, thank you very much for being with us today. This is going to be an episode I'm sure that our listeners are really going to enjoy. And you you have an incredible background. The work you're doing is amazing. And uh, thank you for being with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Left to Our Own Devices is brought to you by Cybellum. To learn more, visit cybellum.com.